Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Welcome everybody back to the pod and thank you again for joining me on this journey with Black Coffee and Theology. I I love you all. Love and light to you. Uh, I have a special pot for you guys. Whew. And joining me on today's podcast, it is the wonderful Jocelyn, a.k.a. Jade. And this wonderful human being, <laughs> I cannot say enough about. And she, I, I first interacted with her via Twitter, and she is just this, this dynamic black woman who, yes, she has uh, worked hard and earned her MDiv, but she uh, is also a professional in the mental health space. And she just brings such richness uh, to the world. And I just love the way she shows up. And she's so honest and though and she just is she's just her full self and she there's no faking it there's no um trying to pretend to be more holier than she is she just is her full authentic self and i love it i love it i love it so it is an honor to bring to you uh this discussion that you're about to hear on black mental health and Christianity. And when I thought of who could I bring on to talk about this, and I was uh, thinking about for weeks and weeks and weeks on who could I bring on as I was even launching the show, I thought I have to ask her to come onto this show. Not only is she a a wise theologian, but she's also an expert um, in this mental health uh, realm. And so often, I feel like when we talk about mental health, especially even in the Christian space, black people are left out of the equation. And so I hope and pray that you are blessed by this conversation that you're about to experience. And we could have talked for so long. It was that rich and enjoyable. So bless you all. Later in the pod, I will be highlighting uh, the book, The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health by Dr. Rita Walker. So sit back and relax. Love and light to you all. From that thing, are you praying hard enough? You know, um, let's come and do the altar call for, for soul ties when actually say that, say you that. have, it's, it's, it's actually not necessarily a soul tie. It's you have, um, a, you, you might have anxious attachment. And if you go to a therapist, they can help you work through that. You might have codependency. You may have some unhealed trauma. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the pod. And uh, I am honored to be joined by someone, again, that I met in the Twitter streets. Uh, (laughs) uh, Welcome to the pod, Jocelyn. Welcome. Thank you for having me. 
no, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, again, as I will have said in the intro to this pod, uh, uh, much of what I have encountered uh, with Jocelyn uh, through Twitter has been just a lot of refreshing, a lot of life, a lot of honesty, a lot of transparency. I love the way that you're not afraid to bring your whole self to Twitter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just love your ability to name who you are and where you're at. Um, and it's re- it's honestly in a world that tries to say you cannot be your whole self on social media and in a world that says um, that social media is the highlight reel. On Twitter, <laughs> you are exactly who you are. I feel like I actually know you because it is not the Twitter is not your highlight reel. (laughs) It is the good, the bad, the ugly. You tell us exactly when you, when you are crying, when you're laughing. And so I feel like over the course of following you, I feel like there are seasons within that. And, um, some might, um, have disparaging remarks for that but for me you're just living your life out loud and I I, personally I want to tell you that I I feel there's nobility in that and it calls us all to a higher level of living personally so uh yeah you didn't ask me to do that but I I I to me it calls me to be um a better human being so thank you for that Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, I thank you. So (laughs) sorry, you didn't ask for that. But with that said, uh, tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, what things are important to you, how you show up in the world. Mm. Yeah, so I am Jocelyn, uh, also known as Jade on social media. And we were talking about that a moment ago. My name changed. <laughs> my, my, I have two names. Uh, I renamed myself in 2008 after going through a heavy period of life. And um, I just follow in the footsteps of many Black women who have renamed themselves into Zaki Shanje, Bell Hooks, Maya Angelou. Um, and so that was just a natural sort of thing for me. Um, but I am a sacred woman. I like to lead with that. And I, I lead with that as a reminder to myself that I am to heal myself first. I am to honor myself first. I am to take care of myself first because uh, the other part of my life and my work in this world is being a caregiver. And I think throughout my life, sometimes I did not always put myself first uh I was putting everybody else first and you know the multiple reasons that go into that but as a black woman but um I had to get to the place of really honoring me so I leave with being a sacred woman uh I try to show up in the world in that way as you said how do you show up in the world and what's important to you it's all nestled in that right being able to show up fully uh, which is challenging. So I thank you for naming in your introduction. 
the ways that you have witnessed me showing up because I've had to work at that and try try to be intentional or even the times where it was just a natural flow sometimes questioning myself about okay was that actually okay and fighting my introvert tendencies of I'm ready to run (laughs) um and so yeah I I named that I'm an introvert um I am someone the things that are important to me are love love is my focus that's what I go with. I believe that that's what we are here to do and nothing else. <laughs> um, and uh, care is important to me. Uh, a lot of my work is around understanding and researching care ethics and how are we showing up for each other and showing up for ourselves. Um, family is important to me and not just you know, blood family, but growing up as an only child, I had to create family as well. And so uh, chosen family, seeing everybody as family is important to me. And uh, what else might I say? Creation, nature, all of those things are important to me. Ooh, Ooh. I should have taught you about theology of softness also. Woo. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yes, thank you for naming all those things. And I think it's important to name how we engage with the world and where we are. And with that said, uh, on the docket for today, one of the things is to talk about Black mental health and Christianity and how they can and do intersect in our lives. And I want to frame a bit of this conversation and and ground this conversation in the reality that often Christianity is talked about as being divorced from mental health. And then even when mental health and Christianity are talked about, uh, the conversations are dominated by our white uh, siblings. And uh, when I began to think about this topic, I thought, who could I get for this topic? And for for weeks and weeks and weeks, I thought, okay, I got it. I, I must, must, must. Uh, get uh, Jocelyn. (laughs) And I thought the world was burning (laughs) down around us. We're into this pandemic and there's nobody else that I want to talk to about this topic, right? And then uh, we saw all of our sisters in crisis um, in the public eye, right? We saw Naomi Osaka. Uh, I even wrote a, uh, a piece about Naomi Osaka for The Witness. Um, And we saw Simone Biles and we saw the vitriol that they had to endure uh, before the public. And I thought, okay, let's talk about it, right? So with all of that framework, um, I want to ask you, how do you see Black mental health and Christianity? How do you see those things intersect in your life? And, and do you see maybe some of the disconnect um, for people, right? Mm-hmm. 
where do I begin? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's such a big topic, right? And it's all, it's so many layers to it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are so many layers. So, um, I guess I'll start with my current context of the work that I do. Um, I am the director of mental health and wellness for a faith organization. And I get to attend to this very thing of not just the black church, but all of our our siblings across all races, races, genders, et cetera, um, in the United States and in Canada, we have a few churches there. And with that, I find that one of the biggest issues with Christianity and mental health is the stigma piece and the lack of understanding, the lack of knowledge that people have about what is mental health, what is mental illness, and not, you know, somehow not believing that it is real. And I think a part of that is because you can't actually see it, you know, if someone broke their arm, it's like, you see the bone is sticking out. But if someone says, hey, I'm depressed, you're like, okay, that's in, is, that's in your head. And so I think when it comes to the Black community, not having the full understanding of mental health, not having that um, education gr- growing up leads to that, as well as this uh, this, the way that we lead on our faith, the way that we believe God can handle it, God will heal all things, all you need to do is pray, and it will go away, Um, God will heal you, it's, and if you're not healed from that thing, are you praying hard enough, you know, um, let's come and do the altar call for for soul ties, when actually, you have, it's, it's it's actually not necessarily a soul tie. It's you have, um, a, you you might have anxious attachment, and if you go to a therapist, they can help you work through that. You might have codependency. You may have some unhealed trauma that's causing you to engage with people a certain way or causing certain patterns to happen in your life, and it literally has nothing to do with some of the things that the church might be saying it has something to do with, but that's just because they don't, they don't understand those concepts, right? They don't, they don't understand diagnoses. They don't understand um, these sorts of situations. And hey, it's because who taught, who taught them? You know, who taught you that? Who told you um, that, hey, here's what mental health means. For me growing up, my mother, uh, was a social worker and she when I was a uh, eight years old she went back to school to get her master's in social work so my mother would teach me these things about mental health so I always knew that I knew what schizophrenia was I knew what depression was I knew that if I wasn't feeling well I could take a mental health day away from school and I didn't have to say mom I don't feel good or I could say mom I need a mental health day and she would say okay you don't have to go to school that is incredible I, I would say majority of my friends, I don't think any of my friends growing up had that same understanding. Um, Mm. So that's, you know, that's the main part there. I think the lack of true understanding is what causes that disconnect. Ooh, you said a, you just said a word. Um, 
Ooh, you said a word. <laughs> you you laid out some stuff. Soul ties. Um, uh, let's get into it. no. Um, I that would be a whole podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I no. I, I think as I was listening to you talk, I I, I think for our community, uh, there are there are specific barriers to uh, understanding mental health, right? And as I was listening to you talk, some of those barriers have been exacerbated by the church. And those barriers cannot be um, removed by, in the, they, they cannot be removed in the same, like, in the same way, it, by being treated, by being treated as if we are the same as our white siblings, or our Asian siblings, or our Latinx siblings, right? And I think so often, uh, statements are made uh, in broad sweeping ways, um, when it comes to mental health. Um, no, some of our wounds are very specific. And so even when you said soul ties, that means something very specific to Black people who are raised in Black churches, um, Black communities. No, um, not being able to have mental health days is something specific within Black context, right? And uh, so I hear... I hear you're you're almost effortlessly saying these things, and they're nuanced within our communities because the impact um, is felt within our communities and within our 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 structures, right? So I hear that. What's in my cup? What's in my cup? Now's the time of the podcast where I share with you what's in my cup. So what's in my cup today? Well, it's fitting. (laughs) An Atlanta-based coffee, Black Girl Black Coffee by the Dr. Nichelle Guidry. And I will have links to this wonderful coffee company that's started by the wonderful Dr. Nichelle Guidry. It's recently been launched and I just love the mission of Black Girl Black Coffee. Everything that, uh, yeah, that's entailed in, uh, in her vision and in her mission. And so get into it, <laughs> get into this cup of coffee. I love it. So that's what's in my cup today. Amen. Amen. You know, as you talk about the the nuance for our community and the difference between other communities, what's really important to know is that Black people in America are, I might not be saying the exact numbers, but 20% more likely to experience serious mental health problems than the general population. Um, and they are less likely to access services. So across the board, like we see 
black people, black men, black women, children, um, non-binary experiencing greater uh, severity of symptoms for whatever it is that they might be experiencing. And then not having the opportunity to express those things. Uh, like we think about, people will talk about it, the angry black woman, when in reality, she's, she's probably not an angry black woman. The way that black women tend to experience anxiety that is the way that her anxiety is showing up. It's manifesting, and if you yeah. Don't, right, and if you don't have the space to name, actually I'm anxious because you don't understand anxiety. And then you also live in a culture that says, hey, get over it. Hey, keep going. We made it through slavery. We can get through anything. Your ancestors was out there working in the fields for hours. They didn't complain. You don't know that. Were you there? <laughs> you don't know what symptoms of depression they may have had. You, but they, and you did not, they did not have the language and the frameworks that we have now. Um, and so we can look back, and many of us in our personal lives can look back and say, oh man, I, you know what? I think this is what was going on in my life back then but you didn't have the language there. And that's no fault to you, right? Uh, once we know something, you know, they say, once you know better, you do better. So once you know something, you can move forward and, and get the, the help that you might need. Um, but I do want to say too, with the help piece, because you mentioned um, something about that a moment ago, we also have to be aware of the fact that a lot of people don't necessarily know how to access mental health services. Yes. Um, they might not have the resources to access mental health services. And that is where we think about the Black church and just church in general, because I mean, of course, I, I work with church in general. Um, that is a, a very key place where because especially the Black church, which has been a symbol and a space for black people and black families to experience power. We think about after slavery, that was the place where black people had an opportunity to rise up and be themselves and develop their families. Um, and so it holds a certain power and it is a space where they can begin to educate people. They can begin to provide people with referrals and lists of, um, you know, providers in their community um, and have people, you know, from the community to offer services out of the church space. Yeah. And uh, first on the, the resources portion, I think of um, the resources don't have to feel like they're antithetical to the faith. And this is something that I think creates dissonance within a lot of church structures. And that, that is out. That's not just a, a, a black mental health thing that that is just a stigma in general for the church. And sometimes, and often it feels that we are <laughs> fighting against this huge uh, behemoth um, that uh, it feels as if all, Often when I'm talking about mental health and trying to uh, create this pathway with churches and mental health uh, resources and structures, 
that people feel that if we refer people outside of the church, they might not come to church or pastors. (laughs) Y'all, what your pastor can offer you and what a, a, a good therapist can offer you are literally two different things. Um, biblical counseling and uh, what your therapist can offer you, y'all, we are not the same. Which is why I share my mental health struggles and which is why I share what uh, my therapist walks me through. They are not the same at all. A, a great pastoral session is night and day different. It's not the same. I don't care what wisdom your pastor, your pastor can pray you through some stuff. I mean, uh, they mm-hmm. could, I was about to pray and they could take you to the throne room. It is not, they are still not the same. <laughs> they, the, the training is not the same. What they are able to provide for you in terms of wisdom is not the same in trying to make them, um, to juxtapose them doesn't make any sense uh, to me. So I'm glad you highlighted that. Um, And churches should be trying to provide um, bridges to uh, mental health resources, if anything, because we know the statistics for pastoral burnout. We know that pastors themselves have mental health crises we know the statistics for pastors committing suicide um and so pastors trying to be all things to all men um is not a good look uh at all so yeah so i'm glad you highlighted that Mm -hmm. all right and which goes against like what we believe if we talk about this understanding of the body of Christ and everybody has their part, you're just going against what you say you believe by feeling like you have, you know, this one person is supposed to do everything. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Um, I, something I'm sitting with this week, uh, theologically is um, unpacking when Moses, his uh, father-in-law said, you need to delegate <laughs> and go and sit down, you know, because that's real. Like that is real. Um, and so pastors, you know, have to be able to understand that for themselves as well as the congregants. Um, a part of my work is, you know, creating resources for pastors to be able to get the rest and the services that they need and the understanding of that importance of their self-care. I'm glad that you further, you know, lifted up the difference between your pastor and your therapist, because there are a lot of people who firmly believe, no, I can go to my pastor for everything. And no, like they are not they are not trained. Listen, I went to seminary. I have an MCU. You better say that. <laughs> we are not, what we are taught is you have a certain amount of times that you meet with someone in your church and then you have to refer them. Um, now, of course, I went to seminary already as a licensed therapist. And so my experience and and the way that I engaged that conversation was a little bit different but if I was ever a pastor of a church 
a senior pastor, which I'm not trying to do, Lord, um, I still, even though I am a therapist, I still would not meet with people in my congregation and provide therapy for them because, you know, we're not ethically, we're not supposed to have dual relationships in that manner with people. Um, and you don't want to blur those sorts of lines. And so it's important to know that there are people out here who can provide you with therapy. Also, I need to name um, with that because people will say, well, I need a Christian counselor. I need a Christian therapist. I've seen a lot of conversation about secular therapists and I wanted to comment. I'm on so glad you, you, you getting into, say this. <laughs> Let me sip my coffee while just, you say this. I didn't, I, I was like, this is just too much because for myself, because um, I'll say I have helped people. One of the things that I've loved to do over the years is help people find therapists. I'm like, hey, I've always said on social media, if you need a therapist, like, and you don't know where to begin to find one, please let me know. I will help you. And I have gone, I have gotten people, what's your, what's your uh, health insurance? What's your zip code? And I will go online and search to try to find someone. But sometimes I've had people say to me, well, I need a Christian therapist. I don't want to work with somebody who's in the world. And what I always say to those people is, I have never marketed myself as a Christian therapist, okay? I've never led with my faith, but I am a Christian. And clients that I've worked with in our intake process, I will say, you know, tell me about your spirituality. Tell me how that shows up in your life. And I oftentimes get a lot of clients who are Christian and we get to infuse that into our work together. I get clients who are not Christian and we still do wonderful work together. I get clients who are, are, are of different faiths, uh, who believe other sorts of things, you know, even not uh, faith particularly, but maybe they lead with, you know, they're into some other things that um, are kind of faith related. And we still do good work together. And so I think like it's it's important to not let that be your barrier. For me, I see it as another reason why, another excuse to, to seek service. Another, you know, you want to question yourself, am I being fearful of actually going to therapy by naming that I really, really need someone who is a Christian? Because you really don't know who you might link up with in your search and you always have an opportunity once you meet the therapist to say hey this is not the person for me let me continue my search um yeah. oh i'm so glad you named that i can i tell you i've had the smorgasbord of therapists um you can have good <laughs> ones who are christian and not christian mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> and why are y'all thinking christian equals we on the same page y'all how many denominations are out there right do we all agree right now <laughs> do you walk into every church and agree no so mm -hmm. why are you thinking christian therapist equals y'all y'all gonna be of one mind y'all this whole wars fought over christianity stop mm -hmm. that <laughs> uh, but no you just said it wiser than i would have but i see why people are frightened um but i it's also why i try to and I love how you just broke it down. I think people assume that something like magical in their seance is going on in a therapy session. And I try to demystify, y'all, it's 
nobody like nobody's like taking your soul out of you when you get it like a good therapist <laughs> is like asking you questions and they're trained to really they they are asking you self-reflective questions and they are trained to really be attentive to you and that type of science and that type of nurturing and that type of like they're not it's this isn't a lecture right like when you're going in there they're not programming you and i think this like sometimes especially with uh black people i I've encountered, that's why they're like, well, I don't want them just doing anything and making me hug rocks. I've, I've had black people mm. tell me that. Y'all, stop. <laughs> like, y'all. <laughs> that, that's not going, like, y'all, it's actually very normal when you go into a therapist's office. They, 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 like, it's very normal when you go in there. And I just try to let people know that whether they're Christian or not, I've actually been helped sometimes it's actually very helpful for me when they're not Christian um, mm -hmm. because I, the barrier for me is lower because I have a high level of theological training and I'm trying to, in, it's just on my part that I need to be at ease, right? Like I, I don't want necessarily you hitting me with the scripture right now. I, I just like, I just want to be at ease and I might say some stuff and I don't know if, are you a legalist or Christian or like, I don't know what you are. Right. So, um, yeah. so yeah. I love Which that. I think with you saying that too, for anybody who's listening and they, you know, go to therapy and they are with a you you have the right in your first session to ask your therapist what is your spiritual background you know and if they are christian can you share with me you know some of what you believe theologically and how that might show up in our work together um as a therapist you are not supposed to push your thoughts, your understanding, your beliefs on your client. You're just not supposed to do that. And so, you know, if anybody experiences that, that's that's not necessarily supposed to happen. And you might want to check back in on, okay, is this the right fit for me? <laughs> um, because, you know, it, it also reminds me years ago seeing uh, some young women on Twitter saying, oh, when I'm a therapist, I'm going to be telling people, you just need Jesus. And it's like, Ooh. no, that's not, that's not how it works. That is not how it works, sis. Uh, that's not how it works. So having to, you know, I, I will, I'll say one of the ways that I don't give my clients scriptures. I don't just bust out and say, oh, well, you know, right here it says this. But one of the ways that that has showed up before is if um, I had a client talking about a certain thing and they might bring up scripture. And so then I turn to my Bible and I'm like, huh, well, let's, let me look at this real quick and mm -hmm. just name something for them that is the truth from the passage that maybe they didn't think or, um, you know, they... It just never came to mind for them, um, as well as some homework sorts of things. So I've had some clients who were struggling with their self-concept or 
letting go of lies that they've been believing over time and having them as a part of their homework coming up with what are these lies we're addressing? What are the truths? And because they identify as Christian, are there scriptures that you might be able to find that connect to that, right? So then out of that, one of my favorite Ephesians 2.10, I am God's masterpiece. And that's one, any, any client, if I were to ever be like, hey, here's a scripture you need, like I would come with that one. Um, because I think also when it, even if people are not dealing with self-esteem issues, when it comes to mental health, reducing that stigma of feeling like, oh gosh, there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. I don't have enough faith, et cetera. No, you're just going through something. You're just a human being here on this earth and suffering through incredible hardships, especially now <clears throat> being in the uh, pandemic, which is a traumatic experience. And all of us are in that. And all of us, I mean, we have multiple, especially with the Black community, multiple pandemics across the board. The Black community is being hit in so many ways. The violence that we're continuing to see from police, within the communities, um, emotional violence that we see online, um, you know, the internalized violence, you know, I mean, the trauma is unending. And so you, if, if anybody is able to function fully at this time and not have a moment where they're like, I am exhausted or I feel depleted or I'm depressed or I'm very anxious. I'm like, well, what you got going on over there? <laughs> they they in the rock of ages. Uh, okay. they, they anchored. My soul's anchored. Okay. Yeah, I think um, one thing that's important, we kind of touched on it, but I didn't name very specifically that your spirituality works in tandem with your mental health care um as we were talking about like the difference between the pastor and the therapist you can if you when you go to therapy we're gonna say if we're gonna claim okay therapy, all right. right pull it down it for the people uh when you go to therapy if you the way that you can utilize your spiritual care team, right? You can look at it as this, like I have a whole care team and on that team, I have my therapist, I have my pastor, I have people in my community, my friends, my family, et cetera. You can look at it like that and see what are all the ways that these different people can help me in this journey of healing. Um, and so that might look like you tell your, whether it's your pastor or, uh, you know, the, the, whatever type of ministry leader from your church, Hey, um, I'm in therapy and I just want to ask if you would pray for me on mm -hmm. this sort of thing, you know, pray that my journey with my therapist goes well, you know, pray that God is in the midst, um, that whatever it is that I need in that space, it will be revealed. You know, you can, you can do it like that. I've had, uh, I remember a friend saying to me, I, I posted one time, just a, a prayer that people can pray for people who are dealing with mental illness. And I remember a friend saying to me, I never thought that I should pray that my mom will take her medication for her mental illness. 
thank you. I'm going to start praying that, right? That people, you can pray, you know, pray that I'll be compliant with my treatment. You know, whether mm-hmm. that's that I'm going to take my medicine every day or that I'm going to do my journaling prompts like I'm supposed to. Um, and pray that I am going to receive my total healing. Um, if that's how you want people to pray for you as you're in the process of, you know, unpacking, dealing with whatever the thing is that you're having to um, address in therapy. While also, I want to normalize that it's mental illness is not a weakness. It's not something that you know, if people are dealing with a certain thing for the rest of their lives, it means anything negative about them. We know that there are a lot of things that go into our mental health um, and how we are able to show up depending on circumstances, seasons, et cetera. And so some people are going to live the rest of their lives dealing with certain things as, as far as it pertains to their mental health. And they are still loved by God and still worthy and not, you know, weak or whatever sort of thing. Um, They just have recurrent clinical depression. They just have bipolar disorder. They just have schizophrenia and pray that they will be able to have the, still have the abundant life that God, that Christ talked about um, that is promised to them while they are here and help them support them in the ways that they can do that, you know, through the care and the treatment that is available to them. I love that. I love that. Well, amen, amen. I'll let you have that last <laughs> word. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> So from the back of the book of The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health, I want to read just a bit of the summary of the book. I loved it when I read it, so the whole book. And so I wanted to read this to you. We can't deny it any longer. There is a black mental health crisis in our world today. In addition, the effects of undereducation, poverty, and systemic racism have greatly impacted African Americans' access to effective mental health treatment. It's time to take black mental health seriously. It's time to heal our psychological distress, find community, and combat marginalization in order to thrive. So how do you go about getting the best care possible for yourself or a loved one in a system steeped in racial bias? Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.